I'm Brandon. I'm an Arsenal fan. I'm Greg, and I'm a Chelsea fan. I'm JD, and I'm an Atletico fan. And this is... Indirect Indirect Kick! back with another episode unfortunately uh the west ender greg can't be here today but i do have with me our man in madrid juan diego how you doing juan diego doing pretty good brandon how you doing good good um well there's lots to talk about in the soccer world especially with with my club um i guess we should start with that boy your boy He's not your boy anymore. No, right? no longer can never cannot call him a boy, my boy anymore. Um, no but um, I guess. Well, I want to hear your thoughts first because uh, I I have obviously a lot to say. I need I need all my time. I need all my time. So you can go ahead and go first. Well, um, I mean, you are obviously far more of an expert, and I'm sure you've been following this a lot more than I have. Uh, but you know, I. Um, there, I can't remember where I saw it, and I'm not sure if they use this term a lot in English sports, um, but in Spain, there's often a term used for a player who just follows the money. They often call him a mercenary, and I don't remember, I think there was a... There was a I've seen that term called, used a lot in um, just on Twitter. I don't know, I mean... With Twitter, you can follow people from anywhere, so I don't know if it's necessarily an... It's a, it's a thing in soccer in general, I think. Oh, okay. Well, anyway, there was... there was I read an article in Marca at some point in time, and again, these are not my words. Uh, these are the words of an Arsenal player who was quoted as saying that... Uh, and I can't remember which one off the top of my head, but he was quoted as saying that Alexis was the biggest mercenary in the history of football. Now, when someone's a mercenary, what they mean by that is, you know, they're basically somebody who just, they're just a, you know, they're the kind of player that just makes decisions, career decisions based on uh, basically money uh, and solely money. Um, you know, other players have, I mean, obviously every player wants money, they want status, but I think, you know, other players think about things like, how a team's going to develop them professionally. Are they going to win titles? Um, you know, or maybe they're looking to challenge themselves in a new environment. You know, like there are all these other considerations that go into why you switch clubs. And so there's an argument made from some that Alexis just, he's just the kind of dude who really is just kind of in for the big bucks. And, and uh, you know, I mean, I mean, and his career doesn't make a lot of sense to me in terms of some of the moves he's made, but that's really all I can say is just to quote the words of somebody else. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I, I heard, I mean, it's like I heard about, uh, um, you know, that he didn't have, he wasn't a very good team player, you know, that he just didn't seem to have very much loyalty to just about any team that he was in. Um, oh, I know towards so, the end he was basically acting like a big diva with the, uh... He's getting into fights with other players. I forget. I'm forgetting exactly who it was, but I think it was, I think it was uh, Koscielny. Him got. They didn't get. They didn't like actually throw punches, but they were like they were getting into it and on during training. So yeah, he wasn't. He didn't act very professional. But um, 
I don't really want to talk about Alexis Sanchez. I could sit here for like an hour and curse out Alexis Sanchez, Alexis Sanchez but I really want to talk about the club in general, how I feel about the club, and what is this more an example of? We have all these quote-unquote traders leaving the club, but why are they leaving the club? The pro- a big problem is, yes, Robin Percy, you know, he ran for the money and did all this, and, and same thing with Alexis Sanchez and Ashley Cole, but Ashley Cole was before kind of this crisis, but... Um, like these last, like maybe like five, 10 years of just Arsenal, even though they finished in the top four for most of it, they just been mediocre. They don't act or they don't act like a big club. They are a big club in terms of making money in terms of the fan base they have globally. I mean, look, I'm, I'm in America and I love Arsenal. Like they have a wild worldwide fan base. But in terms of actually winning things, they won a couple FA Cups in the last ten years. But I mean, that's great. But you in yeah, but it, a major title has not been right, right. And I would an FA Cup is a major time. title. But at this point, we're basically if we keep just gonna sell off players. And to keep in mind, the Obama Yang deal isn't done. If that's done, maybe I'll change my tune. But right now, as if as of now, I mean, I'm sure Mkhitaryan will be fine. Um, I I don't know much about him to be honest. I know he was good with Dortmund and he kind of struggled with with Man United. So maybe our system will be good for him. But um, in terms of just world class players, just like want to leave, don't want to be here. I mean, look at uh, Mbappe was supposed to be in Arsenal, and of course he went to PSG. And then, of course, Arsene Wenger will tell you about all the players he hasn't signed, which is why, please, I hate when he does that. It's the, it's so annoying. But, um, yeah, I mean, I know you're a big, you're a big Wenger out guy. I'm, I'm Wenger out too. It's time. Um, you're definitely more vocal than me about getting rid of him, but, um. Well, I mean, you know, I don't, <laughs> I feel almost kind of bad because <laughs> I don't really feel that strongly either way. And certainly. Well, I know, I know. I mean, it's not your team, obviously, so I know you're not like, but you, you're definitely on actually, the. Actually, to be honest, I don't against Alexis Sanchez either I mean I quoted a different player I I take it back Alexis <laughs> <laughs> are you just trying to get him to, you're trying to throw some money at him to come to Atleti huh yeah well no I don't think he'd come to Atleti I think it's um I've never even heard anything about that but um he is a great player though I do remember that impossible goal that he scored in Barcelona against Atletico and that was the same game that we became La Liga champs but that first goal that he scored against us was like, I don't even know how the hell he even did that. It was like from this impossible angle. And he just like, it was weird because he like backtracked. He was like at the corner of the goal, like on the right side. And he like, there were like too many defenders. So he backtracked. And then he just kind of like quickly flipped around, like turned around and just like nailed the shot. And, it, and suddenly it was in, but it all happened in like a split second. It was the most ridiculous goal I'd ever seen. I had to like, I had to, I, you know, I, I had to watch the replay like several times to figure out exactly like how he got, how he got that ball in the back of the net. It was, it was crazy. Have you seen that goal? Have I shown you that before? Um, no, you haven't. But uh, about Alexis Sanchez as a player, uh, and I'll get back to my other point. Um, when he is engaged and he wants to play, he there's no one. There's no one. There's no better player to watch. Just in the way he works, his work rate is incredible. Like the team had to tell him to stop working so hard in practice. So when he's engaged, you know United are going to get a great player. But if like 
he doesn't like let's say he doesn't like Mourinho's system. Maybe he doesn't want to play has as defensive as Mourinho will probably play him. Then I don't know. I I mean I based on his Arsenal spot, it seems like when he's not engaged, he's not going to play as well as he should. I see. Yeah. Um. But I mean, I'm more mad at just like the club in general and the ownership. And you know, it comes down to Wenger. But at the end of the day, he can only do so much. I think. Um, in this kind of environment, sadly, you know, people always talk about Man City and Chelsea are ruining football and by spending all this money. But, I mean, you can't really play money ball in, in soccer. I just don't think. I mean, Leicester did it, but that's that's pretty much it. I mean, at this point, we're just like the – we could hope to be – if we spend money like this, hope to be like the 2000s Oakland A's. And they only, all they got was a, a movie star in Brad Pitt, which is cool. <laughs> But I would rather have like a Champions League trophy or a, a Premier League trophy. Sure, sure. Um, so then, what do you think? I mean, what kind of changes do you think need to happen over there? I definitely think that uh, Wenger needs to go. It'll probably, hopefully, I think he'll probably see out his contract. Hopefully, they don't resign him. He has he has a contract until next year, I believe. Um, and then, in terms of like, I'm not saying that we have to spend ridiculous amounts of money. But we need to be active in the transfer market and actually get these players and start to create a culture of winning, like to bring to want to bring these players here. Um, yeah, I just think that we're just we're basically Southampton with a lot more money and a lot more fans, you know, which is fine if you're Southampton and finishing in six every year or, or like tenth. That's great for them; they probably love it. But Arsenal, we're you know people call us entitled. That's fine. But yeah, I mean, we have very high expectations as fans for the club to do well. Even though, like, over the last past 10 years, it hasn't really shown that. We haven't really shown the results for that. But I do think we still have those expectations when the money, the ticket prices are ridiculous. It's, like, the highest in the Premier League. So they need to, like, put their money where their mouth is and really invest in this team. Hopefully we get Aubameyang. Um, He's kind of old, but, I mean, that's good for the short term. And, um... Yeah, it's pretty. It's mostly just actually building the team. It's not so much you need to spend money on everything, but really getting good quality players. I know we like to build from the academy, but sometimes you gotta bring you gotta bring guys from the outside. Look, you look at what Ozil did. We spent money on him. He wasn't comparatively that wasn't that much money. It was like forty two million dollars. Bringing Alexis in, you know, Lacazette's okay, but we need to do more of that. That's that's why I say I think we need to. If we want to be Chelsea. If you want to be Man City. We gotta spend, not spend like them, but spend adjacent to them. I see. Yeah, yeah. Because I was also wondering, because you keep saying that there's a lot of money at Arsenal. Because you know, I think about, I think you know, I, I often think about the situation your team's going through to the situation that maybe like you know Atletico was going through like five or six years ago. Uh, but I feel like it's a little different in the sense that. I don't think Atletico had nearly the amount. If what I'm reading from you is is accurate, uh, it sounds like Arsenal has much better, much more money in the coffers than Atletico did uh, circa 2011, 2012. Because a lot of times we would do this thing where you know we would buy up like a star player to accomplish our goals, but then we would sell off the star player to sort of you know balance the balance the books, so to speak. Right? I mean, we were able to hold on to Forlan and Aguero for a while, but we eventually had to sell Aguero because there was no way Aguero was going to stay at Atletico, right? Um, 
Aguero! Aguero! Is that the first time we've ever done that on the show? On the podcast? I'm sorry? Is that the first time we've ever done that on the podcast? That's the first time I've done that, yeah. Uh, But yeah, but Aguero was not, I mean, you know, it's like, sometimes I get a little saucy about Aguero, but it's like, I get why he left, you know? It's like, I, I, I totally get why he left. I think his timing was a little bad because if he just hung in there for like one or two more years, he'd be a La Liga champion and maybe even a Champions League winner too. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but, but I mean, whatever. Like I get it. I mean, based on the circumstances of the time, I get it. But it was the same thing, you know. We had uh, Falcao. Falcao. Oh, Falcao! One of the best players ever to play the game at Atletico. And but it was the same thing. Like we let him go. And we let him go because we were trying to balance the books. So I was, you know, is that the case at Arsenal? Is there like this money fixation? They're trying to balance the books or is the money fine and they just don't want to? Well, I mean, is it a similar situation or not Not quite? I don't, I just, I don't think it's a money situation. I just think it's, they're just, uh, Stan Kroenke is not willing to spend the money into this investment because they're happy sitting back and just, they make money because the fans in, in London... The, who are actually there go to the stadium and play these outrageous prices every week. Um, and, you know, they have a very big global fan base. If you look at, like, Forbes, the list, um, they are, like, in the top 10, top 5 of uh, most valuable soccer teams. So they have money. They're wow. not spending the money. Uh, well, by the way, I think the stadium, mentioned... I think building the stadium hurt, the like, the books a little bit, but they've paid that off by now. They, they, they shouldn't, that shouldn't still be a problem. Well, and uh, you mentioned the ticket prices. How? how what, what, what are we talking here for the prices over in uh, over at the Emirates? Uh, I am giving a total guess, so I might be wrong, but I think it's like sick. An average is like sixty pounds. Wow. Yeah, it's like something ridiculous. Um, yeah. I'll let you let you guys the math the math uh, fans out here do the the conversion rate on that. Um, it's a lot. <laughs> That's a lot. I mean, yeah. seventy something dollars. Right, it's like close to eighty, right? Yeah, That's maybe what... close to even eighty. Yeah, yeah. Um, a lot. I mean, not, you know, no matter which. I mean, soccer all over the all over Europe is expensive. Well, no especially in the I mean, Premier League, like... the money that's coming in the Premier League has like driven the prices up ridiculously. Um, but I mean, unless well, you, oh, okay, a lot. I mean, at least for me, when I paid for Atletico tickets, but whatever. Um, the. Uh... Uh, unless you have something else to say on this subject, I I think we can move on. No, man, on. that was all you. Yeah. I pretended to know things about Alexis, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, I guess good luck, Alexis? I don't mean that. I don't... I know. I hope, like, you're healthy and stuff, but I hope you score no goals. Well, let's say that. <laughs> um, anyway... You're not uh, a mercenary, Alexis. Please don't. Now, uh... Um... <laughs> Um, now for our, our next topic, I think that uh, I'll be the one to just kind of shut up and let you go on your spiel. Um, Real Madrid is garbage right now. Uh, in in uh, the parlance of our times, they are trash. They are the trash emoji. Why? <laughs> <laughs> or the smiling poop emoji. Oh, sorry. Uh, um, to give some setup. So they are in fourth right now, I believe, right? In, in La Liga. Yeah, although they have – yeah, so they're in fourth. Uh, they did, I will say they, they did play pretty well in their last game, uh, which, you know, yeah, but they're in fourth, 38 points, uh, Barcelona is almost 20 points ahead of them, they're 19 points ahead of them at first, Atletico is just behind Barcelona, 11 points behind at 46, Valencia at 40, 
Real Madrid still has one more game. It's like one game behind everybody else because of some scheduling conflict. So you got to keep that in mind. Uh, but yeah, they're in fourth, and the fifth place team, Villarreal, is only one point behind. So we're talking about you know like it's it's not even it's not even crazy to consider the, the the possibility that Real Madrid doesn't even make it to the Champions League. That would be insane. Uh, you know, we still got a whole season ahead of us, so you know. And this is Real Madrid, but like, and, you know, and it's very likely this is going to be a trophyless season, right? They're they're out of the Copa del Rey. They're playing PSG in the Champions League. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they they got eliminated. That's the biggest, and we'll talk about that in just a second. But yeah, I mean, their 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 latest fiasco was that they got eliminated from the Copa del Rey uh, to a very small team, Leganes. Uh, they're just a small club from from, from Madrid, also. Um, so they got knocked out by them. Leganes is placed like tenth uh, in the, or maybe even lower. Actually, I can look, find that out right now. Leganes is 11th in the table. Um, so they got knocked out by an 11th place team. Um, and they've been losing games. They lost against Villarreal. They lost against... Obviously, they lost big against Barcelona. Um, so things aren't going well. Um, so I guess the question is, why? You know, why... What is even what is even happening over there? And uh, to be honest, it's kind of hard. It's kind of hard to. It's kind of hard to. Uh... Well, if I can maybe focus it more. Oh, go ahead. Um, is it is it a is it Zidane is just like can't manage the, these egos? Is it the players just aren't playing? Like what what would you say is more of the 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 issue? Uh, well, I mean, obviously, I think that you know, like any. Like any team, you know, the buck stops, you know, at the coach, right? Right. And so I think you do have to sort of give some responsibility to Zidane. Um, but I think that, you know, I think it's mostly the players' faults. Um, you know, there there seems to be – it's hard. I mean, it's obviously very hard to sort of piece together reasons why I think that I think what happens is, you know, in sports, you can get into a situation where maybe you have a couple of bad games, and you know what is normally just might just normally be a mistake or just like, you know, you, you get slightly out of form. That can, I think, um, spiral into you know a habit or a bad moment or a bad season, and I think that. So I think that, you know, there's just this, like, negative collective psychology that's gripped the team. Um, there have been a lot of articles that have been write, written about this. I've got a, a, an article from the Spanish paper uh, ABC or ABC, uh, and they mentioned that one of the first things they mentioned is the is just sort of the lack of concentration uh, from, 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 uh, from Real Madrid. But there have been other problems, you know. There have been, I think... Chief among them, you know, Cristiano Ronaldo is not playing up to up to par. He's missing a lot of goals. He's not really he doesn't have that same goal scoring effectiveness. Um, Benzema is nowhere to be found in terms of his performance. No, oh, that's somebody that Arsenal is supposed to sign. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I can tell you, like the the, the the Real Madrid fan base are eager to let go of him, especially. Uh, but you know, there have been even some. 
there have been even some uh, some critical players too that have really lost their their chops. You know, Marcelo, who's he's critical uh, to Real Madrid, he's also been slipping up. Uh, Sergio Ramos is injured. Uh, Bale was injured for a while too. Um, and there's just there's just a lot. And I think the other problem too is that Real Madrid they don't really have like a plan B either. So, you know, their substitutes leave a lot to be desired. So it's not just that the, the main squad is, 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 is lackluster. They don't really have a good backup plan. You know, Marco Asensio, he shows up on the scene. He was supposed to be this, like, dream boy player. Marco Asensio's, you know, he, he flopped big time this season. Um, and... Isco, who was a genius in the squad, he, uh, you know, Zidane can't seem to find a place for him. Um, and, you know, they didn't get a lot of the players that they wanted to get last summer. They wanted to get Mbappe. They couldn't get Mbappe. Uh, and so I think that they, they just, they couldn't really reinforce the squad in a way that could maybe make up for the slipping performances of their players they're veteran players who've been playing there for a while. So, I mean, I, I think so. I think you know the last. I think the, the last thing that needs to be said about this this whole crisis is just that you know this. I mean, this moment that first of all, this moment that Real Madrid are going through reminds me a lot of where Real Madrid was like basically a decade ago, or maybe like or yeah, nine years ago, a decade ago. So basically, the two thousand eight two thousand nine season. Very similar things going on ahead. They got a new president. Uh, they ended the season without any titles. Um, they hadn't won the champ. And, and actually, in, 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 in ten years ago, uh, it was even worse in terms of European uh, performance. They hadn't won the Champions League in two, since two thousand and two. Uh, and there had even been like a whole thing in the press about how there was a curse on Real Madrid, how they could never get past the round of sixteen. Um, they had like not been able to get past the round of 16 for like four years in a row. Uh, Liverpool had beat them, beaten them. I remember watching the game of Liverpool against Liverpool where they beat them like four to zero. Uh, Torres scored like I think two goals in that game. Um, they beat them to hell. And so there was a similar thing going on, right? Where basically that summer, Florentino Perez, who's the main guy behind the whole Galactico thing. He's the guy who brought Zidane. He's the guy who brought Figo. He left the club for a time, but he came back. And it was thanks to Perez that Real Madrid signed Cristiano Ronaldo. Uh, they pushed out Raul. Uh, they brought in Kaká, although Kaká flopped. Um, they boosted uh, Marcelo up to the top of the team. Right, like there, That was the season, the 2009-2010 season, where Real Madrid made changes. And it took a while. Like It took a while for them to build this team uh, because of course back then Barcelona was like the greatest living team in the history of the planet and apparently that hasn't changed very much <laughs> um, but uh, but you know like they they figured it out and I think that you know they're going through that moment again where they just got a you know they, they got a new generation to, to think about they got there's rumors about Neymar coming in I don't know if Neymar is going to go to Real Madrid. I mean, I wouldn't. I if I think if there's any club that's going to be able to sign him, I mean, that type of player with that kind of money, it, it's going to be Real Madrid. So, you know, I just think Real Madrid just need to clean house. They got to they got to just change things. You know, they 
they they they were an they were an incredible team. They they won it back to back champs. No one's done that in the modern history of the European Cup. Um, and the only player, the only teams that did win like back to back trophies of that level, of course, were Real Madrid back in the fifties. But in the modern Champions League age, you know, no team's ever done that. So you know, props to them for that. But I think that clearly a change needs to be done. And at the end of the day, like it's one bad season. You know what I mean? Like that's the other thing. You know, it's it's one bad season. So I mean, this is actually not even as bad as the, like ten years ago. Ten years ago was worse, I think, in terms of what they were going through. But you know, we're not very good about having historical perspective. Well, so, yeah, yeah, not on the age of the internet, no. No, but uh, but I think that's that's a, that's what we need to that's what we can conclude from the Real Madrid. Well, um, I just had like one one more question for you. Um, sure. Do you think that uh, I don't know? Hot, hot seat seems like a real like American football thing to say, but like, do you think Zidane is on the hot seat? Do you think this PSG, if they, do you think that if they lose to PSG, especially if they lose to them badly, do you think that he's gone, or you think he's going to see out the season? Uh that's an interesting question. You know, I haven't even thought about that in, in that way. I definitely think he won't be here next season. I don't know if they would fire him. I'm not sure if they have a name that they could pull from like it, uh, quickly enough to, to bring in. Um, so I don't think he's going to be gone if PSG knocks Real Madrid out. But I think Zidane is not going to make it. Like, you know, if he can somehow... I mean, if he, if he wins the Champions League, um, then maybe Real Madrid might do some rethinking and might consider keeping him. Um, but I mean, most of the talk is that, um, most of the talk is that he's gone. And, uh, actually the people, a lot of people are taught saying that, uh, uh, Tottenham Spurs, that, uh, Pochettino is going to be the one to replace, uh, Zidane at Madrid. And oh, that's that going to actually... break their hearts. They love him. <laughs> yeah. Well, and actually, I mean, I don't want to, we don't have, I don't want to talk too much about the Spurs, but yeah. you know, in the, in the whole transfer rumor about Harry Kane possibly going to Real Madrid, uh, one of the, supposedly according to Diario Gol, or it might have been Don Balon, one of those Spanish outlets, um, Harry Kane said that he would only go to Real Madrid on the condition that Pochettino become the coach and go with him. And then he made a couple other stipulations too that Cristiano Ronaldo gets sell, get sold and and basically so that he could become sort of their new superstar, um, uh, which would be interesting. Um, it's been a while since they've been since like Real Madrid have had like an English superstar on the team. They had Beckham, but he was he was only okay at Real Madrid. Right. McManaman, that McManaman was awesome. McManaman was probably the last great English Real Madrid player, in my opinion. I guess Michael Owen played for them too for a while. Holy shit, I forgot that either. <laughs> well, if I could go, everybody. if I could go on like a tangent real quick, then we can wrap this up. Um, oh yeah, no problem. Yeah, I'm done with the whole Real Madrid. So, um, Beckham, Beckham, David Beckham, and had their their little press conference for MLS for the Miami team, and I was like, they didn't announce a name, but I, I felt it was going to be something in Spanish, like Spanish influence, which makes sense because Miami. Um, I was like, I can't wait to hear like David Beckham speak Spanish. But I was like, oh wait, he played for Real Madrid. Spanish Bucks play pretty good. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how good his Spanish is. I'm not I sure either. But um, there's something about his accent. I think it would be funny to hear him speak Spanish. Yeah, I mean, I imagine 
imagine it sounds pretty funny. Um, okay, well, um, I don't know if you have anything to add. I don't, uh, anything, any other La Liga news, anything else? Um, I think the only thing to say is that, uh, I guess a couple of, just a couple of quick items, a few quick items. Uh, Real Madrid might have turned this crisis that we just talked about around. They played super well against Valencia this past weekend. 4-1 to one away at Mestalla. Not an easy, not an easy feat. Valencia is a great team. They're having a great season right now. Mestalla is a tough, tough venue to play at, uh, but they they persevered. I mean, I thought Valencia was going to tie it up, uh, but Real Madrid. I mean, to be honest, the performance that they put on at Valencia was sort of the classic Real Madrid quality performance. Great counterattacking football, uh, snatching a victory away from seemingly nothing. I mean, that's they did that like you know the last couple seasons so you know this might you know sometimes you need a good a good boost to turn things around maybe this is their turnaround so we're talking about a crisis but hey you know this might have been a good moment uh atletico you know my team uh they uh they they did their job they won against las palmas three to zero nothing much to report there you know they they did what they needed to do uh, don't still quite, uh, even Torres scored. Torres scored an awesome goal, by the way. Uh, fancy that. <laughs> um, and uh, it's 2008 all over again. 2008 all over again. They got a, He started too. I was really impressed. That was only his second goal all season. So uh, uh. wow, <laughs> how far the mighty have fallen. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's his second goal in La Liga. He scored a few in Copa del Rey, but yeah, I mean, yeah, you know. Um, and uh, so they did well there. You know, Simeone. I think this is for another day. But Atletico have their own things to sort out. Uh, I don't always understand Simeone's tactical decisions. Uh, I don't know why he's not played Vitolo, our latest signing, or for that matter, Costa. Uh, he keeps messing around with the forward line. Uh, Koke, I mean, oh my god, Koke, my man, like, what are you doing, you know? Um, Koke is not doing well. So, you know, Atletico got its own, it's got its own problems. Um, uh, but we won, and that's what counts. Um, and I think that's it. Barcelona almost, the team, the team almost happened at Barcelona. Yeah, uh, is, um, it, is it getting to, like, the, uh... The Man City kind of what, how I, how Premier League fans probably feel about like well, Barcelona is going to win the league, so let's talk about second, third, and fourth. Is it getting to yeah. that point, or do you think there's still hope that somebody well, hopefully Atleti could take take them? What, what, what do you think about that? Uh, I mean, I'm pretty sure Barcelona is going to win the league. Um, I mean, it's 11 points. You know, it's pretty hard to come back from double digits, right? Especially when the double when it's when it's Barcelona. What I was referring to, of course, as you guys know, I don't know if the listeners know, but we've got this this inside joke uh, called Deting, and Deting is uh, the team that beats the first, you know, the undefeated first place. Yeah, Liverpool did Deting. Liverpool did Deting. So Liverpool good. did Deting. Yeah. For in, in in England, Barcelona technically was beaten by Espanyol in the Copa del Rey. <laughs> to quote Brandon, that was not Deting. Because it was not in La Liga, but it was a ting because it happened in uh, in Copa del Rey. Uh, yeah, yeah. Barcelona played a tough game against uh, Deportivo Alaves, um, who are a good team. They are known for being kind of scrappy, 
and uh, and and being tough in, in difficult games. They actually beat Barcelona at the Camp Nou last season, and dude, I thought they were going to win again. Uh, they scored early uh, in the game, and they were actually dominating the game from the first, the entirety of the first half, and then most of the second half into the 60th, even 70th minutes. Uh, and they almost scored a second one, but then you know tied it up i guess it was suarez who tied it up um and then you know it all broke down once once they once they scored uh the second goal though was complete bs um it was so there was bars i think it was I, i guess it was Messi uh who was offside um but i think i don't know if they fouled suarez or some other player basically the ref called the foul but not the offside the offside happened before the foul um and so that Messi like nailed it in for the like an amazing free kick and and that was that um uh so it was they were a little bit Alaves were robbed a little bit you know but um anyway Alaves played the greatest uh, UEFA Cup Europa League final Ever against Liverpool, it was five to four. Look it up; it's pretty nuts. Okay, cool. Um, you got 19, you 19, see. 99. Come here, get some YouTube recommendations. That's good. Uh, I also yeah. want to say um, I'm glad you didn't get too giddy while talking about Real Madrid st- struggling. I'm glad you were keep a professional. That was very good. Yeah, I was actually kind of surprised. I almost felt for them in that moment. That was a little weird. <laughs> uh, no, I have I've had nothing but pure joy uh, watching them fall. It's and if they get to the Europa League, like, I will be, that would be amazing. Like, you can't even, you. I think all of football would just be like, oh my God, <laughs> if, if Real Madrid didn't make it to the Champions League. But, I mean, to be, I mean, I think they'll probably still make it to the Champions League. But, it might be by the skin of their teeth. Well, okay, I think that wraps that up. Um, our last topic we want to talk about, so... We are Americans, of course, so we want to. We gotta cram in some some U.S. soccer talk in here. Um, so American we didn't football talk. I liked it. Um, well, um, we did not qualify for the World Cup in 2018 in Russia. Um, we didn't. We didn't. Breaking news. Um, we will not be in Russia. So if you bought a ticket. You should sell it. Um, yeah, no, we you d- shouldn't. If you're, you'll have a blast anyway. Oh yeah, I mean, you could just you could just go watch like England or like I don't know whoever. Ah, just be ridiculous. Anyway, yeah, um, yeah, um, we did not qualify for the World Cup, and you know now these U.S. elections have U.S. Soccer Federation elections have become very um, important, and it's actually being talked about. I had never heard of. A U.S. soccer election really being talked about. I didn't even know they voted on that. <laughs> I just thought they just named a guy. <laughs> but uh, there's elections. Um, we I could give a brief little synopsis of who's running, but we won't get into like the politics of U.S. soccer too much. But um, some recognizable people is uh, Kyle Martino. He's on NBC Sports. He does like the Premier League stuff. Uh, Eric Winalda, who's very pro pro uh, pro uh, pro rel. He's very for. Pro, uh, promotion relegation in MLS and American soccer in general. Um, oh, really? Yeah, he that's his whole thing. Um, there's uh, Hope Solo, which is the weirdest fucking one. Um, Hope Solo, 
Uh, she's running, uh, which President Solo would be a great. That that's a great name. I hope she wins off that. I don't have no. I don't know anything about her platform. Just a cool name. Um, and uh, in terms of like players or announcers, Paul Calgary, the guy who scored uh, the nineteenth the goal to send the United States to the, basically started this whole era of U.S. soccer from nineteen ninety. He scored the goal against Trinidad in nineteen ninety to send us to the World Cup in in ninety or in eighty nine, but in the ninety World Cup. So he's running, and then there's like a bunch of suits running. There's like. Um, Galati basically her his candidate is a woman named Kathy Carter. She runs like a bunch of like uh, with soccer marketing United or something like that. Where it's basically clearly that like she's like the hand picked successor. And there's a couple other people like lawyers and stuff who are running. But um, you can look that stuff up if you want to hear a good breakdown on that. I would listen to the Total Soccer Show. They went to like a soccer conference and they played pe- stuff from the speeches and they really broke it down. If you really want to get nerdy into it. But we're just going to give, like, our thoughts more on a general thing of U.S. soccer. And I'll just throw it to you, Juan Diego. What is something in the future from going on? Because Gladys not going to be the president anymore. That's for sure. He's, he's dropping out. So whoever wins this election, what do you? what is the one or two things that you would want them to focus on going into the next World Cup cycle, 2022? Right? Yeah, 2022. Yeah. Okay. That math. Oh, boy. I don't, I don't freaking know, Brandon. <laughs> Um, no, I'm kidding. Um, well, I don't really know. I think that, so are you asking just in terms of the, uh, the, just the national team or just like the state of like, this includes like MLS and things like that? You can include whatever you want. If you just want to talk about like the men's team or you just want to talk about youth soccer it, it, it doesn't really matter it, you, get, you can just it could be anything that you want to see in going forward well you know I mean it um, so there's a lot of I guess there's a it'd be interesting to see I think what Winalda the, the idea of the promotion and relegation thing with Winalda only because I'm wondering if that could provide the kind of competitive edge in terms of looking for who really is the best. Um, um, In terms of, like, kind of, I guess, making the competition a little fiercer in terms of selecting national team players. You know, I, to be honest, I'm not. I'm definitely not the kind of person that could tell you, you know, what the better approach is to making a national team better. You know, whether we should be focusing on European players, you know, that is Americans who are playing in Europe, uh, or whether we should be focusing on just people at MLS. Um, I mean, I think that a combination is good. You know, certainly uh, Christian Pulisic is making some really important, breaking some important ground over in. Uh, over in uh, over at Borussia Dortmund, I mean, he's probably one of the most promising American soccer players we've seen. I would say know, he's one of the most time. promising players in the world. Well, yeah, I mean, beyond that, I mean, I don't think. I mean, I think that you know, when he reaches his full stride, you know, he'll be possibly the greatest American soccer player ever. We haven't seen a player of that level and that stature in such a big name club. Um, and if we have, you know, they fall through the cracks, you know. They don't they don't start, they don't um and you know there's this 
there's this prejudice, right, that exists, I think, in a lot of European clubs toward Americans, that Americans can't play, Americans, what, what are you, that we have no business really recruiting Americans. Um, so I think that, you know, it's, it's just tough, you know. I I don't I don't entirely know what the solution is, um, but I do think that yeah. I mean, I, I don't I don't entirely know. I mean, I think that you do need you do probably just have. I, I don't I don't know. I don't even know where I was going with that. To say the truth, I wish I, I wish I had a better answer for you. Um, I think. Um, I mean, I don't. I don't think there's any problem with not knowing because it is kind of complicated at where we go here. Because I think it's more something needs to change. I think one thing while I was reading about it, I I really liked. Uh, I kind of liked Kyle Martino's platform. I didn't read his whole thing, uh, but something he said. He talked a lot about like um, outreach to like. He mostly talked about Latino communities, but I would include it with like African American communities too, in terms of like soccer is still a game that is like it, that stereotype of like middle-class, like, white kids, like, eating soccer, orange. The way we do youth soccer here is still kind of that way. Uh, I think um, if you look at sports in general... Oh, go ahead. Sorry to interrupt. Yeah, I actually thought about bringing that up, and I wish that I actually had, because now I don't feel... I don't feel stupid now. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Because I was thinking about Latino outreach. One thing, you know, part of the reason that I kind of froze up when trying to answer question answer your question was because I'm not sure if there really is an answer to improving U.S. soccer. You know, in some ways, I think that. Well, I'm I'm possible. sorry, I didn't I don't want to make it like I no, didn't want to. I know, I know. Yeah. It's all right. I, I, I'm just saying in general, like when we talk about like this crisis that the U.S. soccer is going through, or how do we improve the game, or how do we become more like Europe, or whatever? Like, I don't think that you can really do that. You know, I don't think we're certainly soccer certainly never going to get to the level uh, in the like in the U.S. that it is in Europe. I mean, because in Europe, it's it, I mean, it's just like there's not the same history, there's not the same um, there's not the same institutions, there's not, there's not the same national fervor, there's none of that, right? Like, so we can't just to a certain extent, there's never we're never going to be able to compete with that. But it's really I'm glad that you brought up this whole issue of like outreach to specific communities i think latino outreach is critical and in fact i think because let me tell you something latino kids like myself myself included there's no shortage of soccer love you know in our community i mean they grow up with it they you know they have you know they have a love for the sport um and you can bring kids from working class communities uh into into soccer via that route. So, and, and you know, you mentioned African American outreach. I'm not as familiar with like the extent to which uh, soccer is popular with African Americans. Um, you might know more about that, Brandon. Um, well, it's not so much I like it, um, I get the sense that it is though, like that it's quite that it's fairly popular. But I mean, obviously, I think that if you want to talk about like the kinds of thing, if you want to talk about like because uh, you keep hearing this whole thing in U.S. soccer about like, oh, we got to try and find you know that kid that's playing soccer in the streets. Well, they're they're playing it, you know, in in Latino neighborhoods, right? I mean, those are the ones that are they are the ones who are doing it. So I think that you know I don't want to be like discriminatory or say we should only focus on them or whatever. I don't want to be stereotyping because I think soccer is a sport that's loved by people of all races and colors in this country. But we can't pretend that you know. 
that, yeah, soccer is more popular in Latin America than it is in the United States. Um, there's also, I think, a politics level to it, though, too, in the sense that, you know, I mean, let's get real. Donald Trump is the president of the United States. Um, if you have a talented, like, Mexican-American player, for example, assuming they're if we're using a Mexican-American example. Well, well you could use John Gonzalez, who just, um, he just, uh, he, he went up through youth, the youth development system with the U.S., and he just recently, um, he recently, I was almost a defected. He, uh, he, he's playing for Mexico now. He's going to play a senior career in, for Mexico. He plays in Mexico, like, professionally. Um, and yeah, that's, well, yeah. I mean, yeah. So and basically I mean, that's, that's something to consider. You know, the fact that Mexico's Mexico is going to try and compete to have those kids play for Mexico. Um, and if we, you know, if we have a country run by a dude who's a racist piece of shit, then, you know, maybe they might, you know, uh, a Latino kid might think twice about maybe wanting to represent the United States. Um, so, I mean, thankfully, though, there is quite a cool, like, inclusive culture in U.S. soccer. You've probably seen, like, you know, when the U.S., like, when, like, I guess it was American Outlaws when they went to the Azteca in Mexico City, you know, they all started cheering, you know, fuck Donald Trump, fuck Donald Trump, which I thought was really cool. Because um, I think that's needed. But anyway, uh, my point is just that, you know, reaching out to minority communities, I think, is a good strategy. I think it's. I think it's just. It just said. It's just. It makes sense to just reach out to the community that already has a love for it, which is of course the Latino community. Not forgetting, of course, everybody else. But to me, that makes sense. You know. You know. It's like that's where you already have a base there, and you, from um, and you can and you can appeal to a more working class sentiment than you can if you're just going for like you know white middle class America. Yeah, um, we need to definitely. Um... Make the game more accessible here for for working class people. I mean, of all races, but because we need to stop. The problem is, is that we price out a lot of these kids who come from like poor neighborhoods. It's it's kind of because I think mostly I think DC United is the last club for its pay for pay for uh, pay to play. Um, but a lot of these like high like um, youth uh, like really good soccer club teams. There's, it's like ridiculous to put uh, like prices to pay for them, and of course, like you're only gonna get people with money. Um, and I think that uh, if you look at just sports in general, I mean, in terms of like community outreach with like you know different ethnicities and Latinos and and black people, it's like a lot of the best athletes are come from very poor neighborhoods and and are doing are are motivated by you know making money for the family and all this. So. Uh, if you want to appeal to that, you got to make the game accessible to, for those kids. And there, I think there's a whole, like, just swath of kids, especially in, like, non-white... I mean, Latino, obviously, you have... that. That's part of the culture from where they come from. From, like, say they come from Mexico or something like that. But I think with, like, the African-American community, it's just, like, it's not that... It's not available... Or in, in terms of, like, working-class African-Americans. It's not... It's not, like, available... It's accessible, you know. You don't have like a soccer field really on every, on every like corner, you know, like you do with like a basketball court, you know. So right. you got to make the make game more accessible for everybody. Um, you know, I mean, obviously there are like athletes who are like the children of athletes who are like super rich, but you know, I mean, I think this country's so big that even if like 
soccer never becomes the number one sport, we could definitely be competitive with the world. We have enough people here. Right, absolutely. Well, I mean, I don't know if you have anything to wrap it up, but... No, that's it. Okay, well, um, that was a good one. Oh, I went longer than I thought we would, but that's good. It was a good discussion, though. Um, alright, well, um, well, um... Sadly, you know, I was going to ask one last thing. I was going to ask Greg because Russia's in the World Cup. Like, if you had the choice between Russia and the United States, like, who would you play for? I mean, if you had a choice between Guatemala and the United States, who would you play for, Juan Diego? Oh, well, I mean, the U.S. Uh, <laughs> yeah. That's not even a question. Yeah. Let's say, okay, yeah. I guess I'll have to frame the question. Like, if you say Guatemala was, like, as good as Mexico, who? Uh... Okay, but it wouldn't necessarily be because of, um, because I thought necessarily that Guatemalan soccer was better, or that I thought it might be better for my career. But I just consider myself more culturally American than Guatemalan. I mean, you know, without you know, and not to, not to you know, issue my 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 Guatemalan roots or heritage because you know it, it is an it is an important part of who I am. But I was born in this country. I was raised in this country. Uh, so, you know, it's like, I never lived in Guatemala, and I visited plenty of times. My dad's Guatemalan, but never lived there, never grew up there, don't know the culture as well as I know here at home, so I think I would probably be more comfortable representing the United States. Okay, that's... But that's, you know, a personal thing, um, and I imagine that for a lot of players, you know, it's a combination of factors, it's, you know, what they think what they think will get them better, what they think will get them kind of glory and, you know, a competitive edge and then kind of where they feel like they're more at home, you know, like culturally speaking. Um, so, you know, there's a lot that go- there's a lot that goes into why you play for a team, right? National identity, competitiveness. There's there's many factors. Yeah, just, I mean, you know, for those that for those that have a choice, you know, who of multiple nationalities. Well, we don't have time to get super into this, but the whole John Gonzalez thing. If you guys haven't read about that, um, the United States soccer really like messed this up. They basically they didn't treat the guy like he was wanted. You know, they didn't call him up when they should have called him up. And all this stuff, and they said that they called his family, and they didn't call his. It was it whole. It's a whole mess. But um, yeah. Hopefully they could fix this going into the next cycle. But um, we should probably get out of here. Um, close to like fifty minutes. So um, well um, we are indirect kick. We have a Twitter indirect pod at indirect pod. You can find us there. We have an email that's uh, indirect pod at gmail.com. Our logos by Steve Horvath. I'll uh, we'll put a link to his stuff in the description. And our song is by Greg, our our fallen hero who isn't fallen, but you know he's not here right yeah. now. <laughs> he's all right. Yeah, he's he's perfectly healthy. But um, yeah. All right. Well, thanks for checking out the show. Any feedback, positive or negative, let us know. Anyway, see ya. See ya. Thanks so much, Brandon.